Then again, though, Cody Sanchez, what's her thing? Buy boring businesses, acquisitions. That carve out, that niche for her has done really well. And some people like Brad, it can be kind of more general and that works as well. But if you can be like the guy or gal within your certain niche and industry on social media, that's another way where you don't need to create some new thing. But if you build a brand in an industry and brand yourself as the person of that industry, that's the leading expert on social media by creating content and pushing it out there, having a podcast, that makes a huge difference at the end of the day. And so you don't need to have some crazy new thing. Just do the crazy thing that exists better. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name is Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Good afternoon, Dan Claps and Christian Dadalak here with another episode of the I Fire My Boss podcast. How you doing, Christian? Living the dream, man. How you doing? I'm living the dream too. I'm I'm excited. It's uh, at the time of recording this. It's Monday. Enjoying the last few weekends of the summer. As you can tell, I got a little too much sun this weekend. <laughs> All good, man. Looks awesome. I try to remind myself that uh, in like another month, I'll be missing summer. So I'm trying to squeeze in as much of the weekend as I can. Makes sense, man. That was me this past this past Saturday, just sitting in front of the, the pool, getting some sun. You can't tell because I'm still as white as ever, but you know, it it felt good at least. But you you get that all year, right? That you can go out there pretty much twelve months out of the year. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, obviously in the winter it gets a little bit colder, but you know, I can still hit the hot tub and whatnot and get out there. So yeah, it's it's California, so not a whole lot to complain about. I mean, at least in terms of the weather department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, excited to jump in this, you know, you and I episode. We're gonna be doing a lot more of these episodes, just talking about general business topics. Today, we're gonna be talking about SOWS, S-O-W-S. Yeah. And what that stands for, stale, old, weak, simple. And we didn't make this up. We're quoting from Cody Sanchez, great business coach, business uh, uh, content leader. But let's dive into it, man. Stale, stale. Let's start with stale. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I I mean, I've become a big fan of Cody Sanchez. She's big on... Um, buying businesses, getting into business ownership through acquisitions. But I look at franchising as almost doing that in a sense. I mean, yeah, you got to get it set up, but all the things that you're looking for in an existing business, you have in a good, well-run, in the right kind of franchise opportunity with the right kind of leadership, the right kind of support. It is in many ways. It has a lot of the, the tools, the knowledge, the systems in place that an existing business would have. And so... You know, because I am a huge fan of her, you know, I see all of her content and I wanted to dive in a little bit because I couldn't agree more in terms of, she says to get into businesses that are stale in many ways. So there's plenty of businesses through, throughout my hometown, throughout your hometown, Dan, through the audience's hometown. If you just start paying attention and you, you start looking into these, some of these places and you think about different businesses that are out there, there's all kinds of businesses that are stale. And what does stale mean? Well, Cody Sanchez says that stale businesses 
is that business in your town that has no testimonials. So they don't have a lot of reviews. They don't have a ton of online reviews. Um, their website is from, you know, eons ago from 2007 or something like that. It hasn't been updated. It looks clunky. It's not professionally done. You can tell they haven't spent a lot of time, money and effort to make it look great. They have limited social media. They don't have a ton of followers. They're not engaging a lot with, with their customers and with their audience on social media. They're not posting frequently. And so that just, again, shows that they're kind of stale. They're, they're, they're in yesteryear. They're, they're playing a different game. They're playing the game of, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and maybe, and she says this also, maybe they still use a fax machine. So, you know, why, why get into an industry like that or why get into a business where there's a lot of competition like that? Well, if you're competing with businesses that are living in 1999, right, or, or 10, 15 years ago, and you just come in with some extra amounts of innovation and a little bit more know-how, maybe some fresh capital, some fresh mindset and some innovation, you can really outcompete and steal a lot of market share from those, from those businesses that are stale, they're tired. And many of them probably aren't doing that well for that reason and put in some extra marketing initiatives. You can really, you can really compete with them. So I think that's, that's one of the reasons I think stale businesses are fantastic. And I mean, what would you say about that, Dan? And what do you feel is, um, stale or, you know, and how do we relate that to franchising? Well, I think in leading a home service franchise or, you know, one of our biggest realizations is that we just run a tighter mousetrap and a better branding and marketing funnel than our competitors. Like in restoration, for example, and this is really any home service, the majority of businesses in the local market are mom and pop. It's a very fragmented industry. So, so much of the industry is mom and pop businesses. They've gotten by by being the hometown hero. And 10 years ago, that was that would suffice. But now the customer service demands are so much higher. And so just by having an updated website with the ability to chat with the website, get responses immediately, the ability to call a number and there be a call center that answers the phone within seven seconds, 24-7, branding that's fresh and unique, building you know better SOPs for the technicians to show up on time, do the job properly, requiring technicians to wear a branded polo with a nice clean look, clean, clean shaven or clean, you know, groomed at least type of look. Um, building a culture where you bring in the best technicians because you're actually paying them properly and running a business with a normal, you know, payroll system like ADP and, you know, having benefits or time off and PTO days. You know, I don't know how you compete with a franchisor that puts all these systems into place as a mom and pop outside of being the hometown hero that's built the trust over those years. That can easily sway. You know, I've had businesses where I had loyal customer bases, loyal customers and great relationships. But guess what? If a product or service comes out, and I've had it happen, that was a better service, loyalty, they don't, people don't need friends. They need a service. And so they would go to that other service at times. And so you know what happens is you come into a business marketplace where it's fragmented with mom and pop owners, which nothing wrong with them. There's plenty of great businesses that have figured out all of the systems. But the vast majority are a person in a truck that maybe is not as sophisticated and as organized. And so to me... Being not stale is just really following general best business practices of 2023 and, and beyond. I, I couldn't agree more, man. And I think that also relates to, um, we'll skip over the O because O stands for old and that's more, um, she's talking more there about buying an existing business. But if we hit W, which is weak, uh, get into businesses or industries that have weak competition, poor competition. And I think that relates to what we're talking about, right? Where they don't have an updated website. 
but just in terms of the industry itself, I mean, you know, she talks about when was the last time you got a plumber, for example, that showed up on time, that had automated billing and invoicing, that sent follow-up texts, that added some layer of automation to it. And like you mentioned, so many franchisors, and this isn't just home services, but you know, we we know that home services, the, the great ones do have the call center that they're answering the phone immediately. So there's no calls that go untaken, I guess you could say. And because that's the reality. Most customers, they're like, look, I'm going to do business with the first person I get into contact with. Maybe they're going to talk to a couple of companies, but especially when it comes to home services type things, you're, you're doing business with the first person you get in touch with. And there's a level of professionalism you want to deal with. And that starts with from the very first phone call. If you answer my call immediately within seven seconds, and I'm not having to wait for a call back, which might in many cases never comes, and I'm having to leave voicemails and I as the customer am having to follow up. That's not good business. I don't want to do business with that company because there's not that professionalism. So a company that does offer that, I want that. You know, I think about roofing concepts that are out there where they use drone technology to take estimates overhead. I mean, the average mom and pop is not doing that. Even if they're an amazing roofing company locally, if you come in there and you have that kind of technology that some franchises offer, that's a hit. That's a win. And those are the types of companies that customers want to deal with. They don't want to deal with the person that's providing an estimate on a yellow pad. They want someone that's using technology, an iPad. Um, I know for certain design uh, renovating type franchises where they're going to offer, um, you know, like a, like a tool that they could actually view, like they upload a picture and they can see exactly what their specific bathroom or kitchen is going to look like with different um, you know, different remodeling materials and whatnot. And so you just can't compete with that as a local mom and pop. So the nice thing is with a franchise is when you come in, it's like, yeah, you're starting it, you're building it from nothing, right? You're starting a new location in a new area, but you have the support and systems in place and you're operating as if you're already a, you know, a, a, a five-year, 10-year-old business because you have all of those support structures. So find find industries that have weak competition that they don't answer the phone on time. They don't show up on time. There's not, they're not professional. They're not wearing branded polos or, uh, you know, the car isn't wrapped or it just looks like crap. They're, they're, they're just not professional. Right. So those types of businesses are awesome. Low tech competition is, is great because add a little bit of tech and that's what franchisors are investing in right now. A lot of AI as well. You can really kick some butt when it comes to that weak competition locally. 100%. 100%. I mean, I'll give you an example in a non-home services experience. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I was getting LASIK eye surgery. And I remember calling two or three doctor's offices and, or, you know, or eye doctor's offices and the phone would ring and they'd go, what? What do you need? You know that like receptionist yep. out of doctor's office that no matter what you do, they're just rude. Yep. I, I hate to like, you've had that experience and you're like, uh, I'm just trying to get LASIK and they're, they, they <laughs> cut you off at the knees. And I remember the hand up the phone, like, I'm trying to give you thousands of dollars and you're treating me like garbage. I, and it's, it seems to be a medical practice that is pretty common, at least on the East Coast here. Uh, I know for sure. And then I remember calling Manhattan LASIK and Manhattan LASIK is like this. Honestly, I remember going there and they had an amazing sales process. Like you go there, really Gregorious God. First off, when you called, they were like beyond nice to you. Come on in. We'll do a free consultation. And it was a no-brainer that for me to do my LASIK there. And I watched hundreds of people go there. It's a giant business. And they're doing the same surgery. There's nothing about the surgery. The LASIK, there's only so much you can do with how you do LASIK surgery. 
right? It's something you learn, you do it a certain way. It had nothing to do with the way they do the LASIK surgery. It's the process and how they got you to doing it and the follow-up and the care and they had systems to make sure you came back every certain amount of time. Because I think they knew that you'd have concerns a week in, two weeks in, two months later. And everything was so well calculated. And I always think about that because they're selling the same widget. They're just doing it better from point A to point you know, X. Yeah. Well, it's so true. I mean, I think... I think a lot of people, when I, whenever I have this conversation with candidates or just anybody in general, a lot of them think, I mean, really, does that, the, does that really make that big of a difference, the customer experience? But I mean, of course it does. If you think about it for yourself, it absolutely makes a big difference. Who am I going to rather do business with? The company that treats me right, that seems like they, you know, pardon my French, but seems like they have their shit together or, or someone that doesn't, that's rude to me. Again, yeah, at the end of the day, the widget is the same and the end result is with LASIK, for example, is you can see, right? <laughs> right. I mean, unless they mess it up, God forbid, but all, all their things being equal, if they're doing the same surgery and the doctors have the same level of experience, then that's awesome. You get to see, but I would rather work with the company that's going to make it as pain-free as possible. They're going to be comforting because uh, candidly, that's something I got to do in the future is get some LASIK done. Um, you know, I would want to be with the, with the company that educates me. Okay, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to experience afterwards. No, it's going to be fine. Like that makes a huge difference. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it is those small things at the end of the day that, that do make a huge difference. I mean, how would you feel if you, you know, you had someone come over to do maintenance on your pool, for example, and, you know, when they're, and they don't, you don't even need to be there, right? You don't need to be home. And they, they shoot you a text message when they're, when they're there. They shoot you a text message when they leave. They send you a little automated, um, or, or even manually sent out, um, little report, maybe via text or email or something like that. So you know exactly what work they did, what they worked on, what the improvements were. So like, that's just a better experience than like, Hey, we came over, we worked on some stuff. It's all good. You're good to go. See you next time. Like, who do you want to do business with? Yeah. And it, it's, it's now more socially acceptable that, you know, I always think about like, you know, generations and their, their, you know, it would, it would be on, un-American to have a company do certain home services, right? Like I always say that like I do less home manual labor than my dad did, does or did. And he did less than his father. And then his, my grandfather did less than my great-grandfather. At one point you go far enough back, we're out there hunting, right? Like, right. you know, it, there's, of course, things are getting less uh, manual as we build more technology and, and systems. But the average you know, the average millennial, the average Gen Z, the average even Gen X, they want to pay their disposable income toward services and they don't want to do the services. I think the reason why is, you know, I remember learning this. There's always been this stigma. Millennials uh, work less. Millennials don't work hard, right? And it's funny because as we get older, you and I, Christian, I joke around about Gen Z. And so it's it's always been this way, right? Uh, there was a quote I heard, which I'd love for you to guess the answer. Um, guess the generation that said this. Everyone is lazy. No one wants to work hard anymore. And everybody's writing a book. I feel like I've heard this. And I, so I'm going to say baby boomer said that. So this was a quote from the 1600s. Oh my gosh. And so every generation forever will always, to some degree, even envy the pre... Like, I envy Gen Z. It's like, oh man, they're young now. They have all these things that I don't have. Right. And if I was a, boom, a baby boomer, it's like, not, I don't say envy, but... There, of course, generations should be getting better. 
Like you want things to get better, not worse, right? But when I think about this, you know, the generation that has the disposable income to spend on home services, it's more than ever. And the reason I think that that's the case is it's actually not true that millennials don't work. I mean, I don't know about you, but my phone is connected to work from the second I open my eyes to the second I go to bed. I've never been on a vacation that I was free from work. You know, I remember going on vacation with my family as a kid and there was no work. My dad, if my dad got a work call, it was like a big deal that he got a work call and he went and took it on a pay phone or whatever. Like, you know, I think people are willing to spend on home services because they actually have less time than you think to spend on their personal lives because they're always working. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to think about it too, because yeah, time as time goes on, I mean, generally speaking, the quality of life ideally is supposed to get better and, and go up. But there's also lateral shifts too, where it's not like better or worse, it's just different. And I think one of those differences is, you know, most households today are dual income households. Right. So both people are working, husband and wife or whatever. They're, you know, both spouses are working. So when they get home, do you really want to like do a deep clean of your house? Do you really want to cook super elaborate meals? That's why meal prepping services have, you know, exploded and people just buying things that they can pop in a convection oven or a microwave. That's healthy. Those have exploded. Made services do well because I don't want to come home or on the weekend during my, my limited free time. I want to relax or I want to take part in my hobbies or things that like, I completely agree. I don't think that millennials work less. It's just we, the household works more back in the day. It used to be, you know, dad goes to work, um, you know, wife takes care of of the home and that shifted. Now both spouses work and then they got to take care of the kids in the evening. There's childcare, there's tutoring services. So there's all kinds of things. And so it's not that we don't, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't want to do those things, but it's because we don't, we only have so much time. And yeah, when, when technology is, as, as, as things get more complicated and more developed, the home gets more complicated. We have more automations at home and certain technologies that I wouldn't want to touch, even if I sort of knew how, because the likelihood of me messing it up is just so great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's just been demographic shifts in the way that we do things, not just in America, but around the world that influences that, look, there's many services that, that people provide that yeah, I would gladly pay to not have to deal with that on my own. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. Yeah, I think about like um, in, in Voda, like one of the things that we did that's pretty unique in a technology standpoint is when you go to um, when you go to a home to do a restoration job or a business, you need to provide ex- insurance specific dimensions of what happened. And uh, it was done through paper, pen and paper. Technicians go with a piece of paper, and it takes all this time. And we came in with this um, radar technology on an iPad that you can scan a room and quickly provide this information and insurance to the program we use Xactimate. But it's done through an iPad and it's done within seconds versus, you know, even an hour sometimes to do with pen and paper. And that's just one example of a small little tweak in in the mousetrap, if you will, in the in the whole process. And you're just doing it better. I mean, 99% of business is execution. Only 1% is innovation, right? Especially in, you know, in just making a product or service better. Um, you know, you can make it 10% better or you can make it 100% better. And, you know, I think when you bring in a service, you need to make it 100% better that people actually, it's, you know, I've actually just, not to get, I'm kind of bouncing around here, but I'm just finishing up reading um, 
Zero to One by Peter Thiel. I somehow never read this book. Mm. And the idea that um, you don't have competition. So competition is actually like for like not as sophisticated business owners. Great business owners operate in industries where there are no, there is no competition. Now, if there is competition, you make your service so much better that you move out of the competition. There is no competition again. Um, and when I think about like, you know, the Manhattan LASIK example, they don't have competition. There's no one better. Like they just are eons better and they're getting so much of the market share. I think the same way with franchise, you know, franchise companies. Like for me, you know, I think that a good amount of candidates come to a small amount of brands because those brands are just eons better franchise opportunities, just so much better than let's say the 20, like 20% of the brands are better than 80% of the other brands. And through the little things like responsiveness and good communication and good processes, good economics, you know, a good story, a good, you know, unique selling, all the things that they need to have, you know, 20% are the really strong and 80% aren't. And most of those brands, it's not that they had some really unique new thing. They're just doing something better, instrumentally better than, than, you know, their competitors. Yeah, of course. And I say this often. But you really don't need to create the next iPhone or the next iPod or the first... Uh, you don't need to innovate as much as you think you do to, to build a massive business that can sell for a ton of money. You don't need... Like, you can do that with a plumbing business. You can do that yeah. with, I mean, all kinds of businesses. And so, you know, there's some unique franchise opportunities out there right now that I know of, but you don't need to have something that's like crazy new. It's just... Add a little bit of like your own flair or spin on it. I mean, I, I know that, you know, we could talk a little bit about, I guess, Dirty Dough is, is an option where, you know, their their model, I think, for the business owners is different than Crumble. And so that's how they attract, you know, it's a third of the investment. The the cookies are already, the, the dough is pre-made so the employees don't have to do that. So from a business perspective and an employee retention perspective, it's better for the franchisee. Um, I think about, yeah, what you guys are doing with Voda. I mean, you versus the the average mom and pop, if you go in there with a radar gun and you have technology that can scan the room and do these different things and, you know, more accurate estimates or more accurate invoicing and dealing with the insurance companies, I mean, better for the consumer, better for the franchisee. I mean, that 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 really is the the small things that that's well, they seem to be small things, but they really make massive differences and they're incremental improvements, but that really make the whole process better for both franchisee and the consumer. And I think a lot of people think that they have to create a new widget. It's just, no, just improve upon the widget that you have or the way that you deliver the widget, like the, the experience behind the widget. Like you can take an age-old industry, but if you tweak a little bit in terms of the way that you deliver it, the way you package it, the way you present it, the way you talk about it, that that is ultimately what creates a totally different experience. It will draw people to you in terms of consumers, in terms of franchisees, and and everything else between. So I don't think you need to have anything super crazy necessarily. And I think that's a thing mistake that that people make. Yeah, I mean, what did Dirty do to really do different other than making good cookies? But like, are the cookies that much better than the other cookie companies out there? They hit a tighter, better branding, marketing process. You know, fun, exciting cookies each week. You know, with Voda, I mean, from a business system, from a franchise system, you know, what are we doing? All we did was, you know, we're not a business that started to succeed and then franchise. We're a franchisor that acquired a business and franchised, right? There's a very different uh, process. And, you know, what all I did was have the confidence to bring in people that knew franchising better 
than me from the operations standpoint. And we took the best practices of what they did over the past 10 years, mistakes, lessons learned, et cetera, and put them all into practice right now. And so people say, why is Voda taking off the way it is? Well, because we didn't invent anything. We took everything we've learned in the 10 years of conferences and experiences and best practices and started from scratch with everything done the right way from day one. It's just a tighter mousetrap. That's all it is, is a tight, you know, better system. You know, everything in a business just comes down to systems. That's it. You know, Tommy Mello talks about that a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with Tommy Mello, mm-hmm. the home services guy. You know, what is he doing with A1 garage doors? Is it that much better? No, the guy is just relentless in every single part of his business, making the best possible systems that you possibly can. That's why he's so successful. He went and did content, but he did it toward like the max. Like he's got more content out there than anyone in home services. You know, I think about what we do. If we took our podcast and did five uh, episodes a day instead of one a week, like think about, of course we would lead the charts. Tommy Mello just took systems and they integrate those systems into each one of their acquisitions, but they're not doing anything unique. There's nothing unique about the way they install garage doors. It's just a better system. Right. And just understanding and, and leveraging technology, leveraging social media. I think that those are, those are things that can be done that, again, if you are looking to get into an industry, pay attention. Like, what are your competitors doing? Are they super involved in social media? Yeah, there's going to be a couple of them that are, you know, there are a couple of people that figured it out and are ahead of the pack. But is most of your industry doing that? No. If you're one of the 10% or 20% that is on social media, building a great following, attracting eyeballs and attracting people that are engaged leads that want to come to you, that raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm interested in your service or I'm interested in your franchise opportunity. I mean, that's, that's what you want at the end of the day. So there are little things like that. It's like, you know, something that Brad Lee told me was, you know, he, he has all these different businesses that he's involved in. He has Lightspeed VT, Real Financial, Real Solar, uh, Real Merchant Services, et cetera. And he said, what do you think is my number one business? What do you think is my, my main business? And I said, I don't know, probably Lightspeed. He's like, no, 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 no. My main business is me. I'm the main business. It's my personal brand. And I think that that's another thing you can do too. Like look at industries that are old school where they haven't really, there's no major players that have really focused on developing. Like, you know, I brought up like pools or something, but like, if you're like, uh, gosh, like a donut uh, franchisee where you have like a, a donut trailer and you have help people buy donuts or whatever, right? Be like the donut guy on social media or like the food industry guy on social media. You know, a lot of people are not taking advantage of building personal brands that are specific to a niche. You know, some people get so big like a Bradley or a Cody Sanchez where they can be a little bit more general. But then again, though, Cody Sanchez, what's her thing? Buy boring businesses, acquisitions. That carve out, that niche for her has done really well. Um, and some people like Brad, it can be kind of more general because, you know, and that's, and that works as well. But if you can be like the guy or gal within your certain niche and industry on social media, that's another way where you don't need to create some new thing. But if you build a brand in an industry and brand yourself as the person of that industry, that's the leading expert on social media by creating content and pushing it out there, having a podcast. Yeah. That makes a huge difference at the end of the day. And so you don't need to have some crazy new thing. Just do the crazy thing that exists better. Yeah, I agree. So, but yeah, I think relating it back to what Cody Sanchez said and what you were saying, Dan, I mean, you don't need anything crazy new. I don't think you need to buy an existing business. You certainly can do that. That's a route to go. But 
one of the great things about franchises like what you're building with Voda, Dan, is you have the support systems and processes that a very, very successful company that's been around for quite some time would have. And so that's the benefit of, you know, you could do the Cody Sanchez way and buy an existing business. There's a lot of problems that can come with that though, where, you know, you don't really know what you don't know. And there's a reason they're selling sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not. But usually if you're buying a business that's, you know, you know, the, the price tag is under a million, you know, you're, you're buying some problems with it, right? What about like, I'll give you the perfect example. Like I believe in franchising so much that I've actually never done anything without the same model as a franchise. I started off in a franchise system. My last business had a playbook from a, a, a partner who had, uh, at least in the early beginning of the business, had a, a, a plan. And I, oper- I executed on the plan. I started off as an operating partner. I ex- executed on the plan. I did well. And then we ended up growing from there. But I've always... And now with what I'm doing now, you know, it's funny. Like I always say to people, w- would you rather have 100% of a grape or 80% of a watermelon? And to take that a step further, I'd rather have 70% of 10 watermelons, right? Meaning I'd rather have 70% of something but have 10 of them than 100% of something small. And so for me, like I know for me with starting Voda, you know, it came down to, hey, let's bring in people like, like our co-founder, Zach Nolte, our COO, he came in and, you know, has, you know, as part of the business and we're partners and our, our founder and our whole leadership team. And for me, I'm not making it up as I go along either. I'm following the franchise or playbook, right? Zach knows exactly what we need to do, when we need to do it. Christian on the marketing side knows what we need to do. Uh, Arthur, our VP of operations on the boots on the ground restoration side. Dragon, our founder, knows everything you can imagine about cleaning and restoration and boots on the ground, understanding the day in the life. Me from a development standpoint, like, and, and building a business overall, like, but like nothing's being made up. There's not one thing that we're doing like trial and error. There's no trial and error here, right? And so for me, like, if I was going to start my own business without a franchise, I would do that, but I would go and I would go out and get like the greatest plumbing of our startup plumbing business, the greatest plumbing guy there is and say, dude, come join my team, pay a crazy amount of money, give me equity, whatever it takes. I'm not going to do this on my own and make mistakes. But instead of spending all that money, you can do that with a franchise. And all you do is paying a franchise fee one time. Like, what do you think Grant Cardone charges for a, a good training for sales? Oh, gosh. One to one. One to one? Oh man, you, you got to pay him. I mean, I know some of the speaking engagements for those guys. I mean, they're getting paid like a hundred K for like a 30, 60 minutes each. hundred K, right. For that amount of time. One on one, it's going to be more. I mean, you were talking about a 50 to $60,000 franchise fee, which gives you access to the franchise training in the beginning, online, in person, in the field for 10 years, 10 years of training. And you're paying a royalty, which by the way, so many of the services, especially in this day and age, listen, home service brands, mine included, but all of them, good ones at least, understand that to appeal to the investor of today, which a lot of times are real estate investors that are now coming into franchising, people who keep their jobs are coming into franchising. They're not firing their boss. They're only, you know, pseudo firing their boss. Um, you know, people are coming in, they expect a help with lead gen and expect hiring uh, support, KPI tracking, you know, um, financial support, like, you know, financial bookkeeping, they expect these things. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes now to be a successful franchisor. So you're also getting so much of that in the royalty and you're paying one time to be trained 
and avoid all the mistakes. I spent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars of lost opportunity from mistakes over the 12 years I've been an entrepreneur. I would love nothing more as a franchise owner, first time business owner, plug in, pay a fee and a royalty and you're getting all that for, for that cost. It just seems like a no-brainer to me. And Because people a lot of times forget that they think, well, I'm giving all this money. I'm giving 200 grand to the franchisor. No, you're not. You're giving 140,000 to your own business and 60 to training up front in the franchise fee. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think like the initial investment is 150 or 200,000 or 250 or even half a million, they think that's going to the franchisor. No, like that's just you getting your business started. That's what it costs to get that business started. And then, yeah, you pay the franchise fee up front, some training, maybe an equipment package or whatever. But yeah. I mean, I would say, I think the one area where I would maybe disagree with Cody Sanchez a little bit is, yeah, you can buy an existing business and you can buy one that's successful, right? But let's say you get into that business and you don't, you don't have any prior plumbing experience. You just bought it because Cody Sanchez said, buy boring businesses and you found a good one and it seemed to be cash flowing. And so you got it. But now what? Like you don't know. Yeah, there's infrastructure in place. Yeah, there's cash flow coming in. But you don't know what you don't know about plumbing, for example, or pool maintenance or restoration. And I think that even, yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you have a cash flowing asset, but what's the added benefit of buying a franchise? You don't have to worry about or wonder about, am I doing things the right way? Am I doing like learning the, the industry? Yeah. By the time you go through training, it's like, yeah, you're not going to be like an, a total expert, but a lot of franchises, what they're training can get you pretty dang close where if you, you could have a, a conversation with an industry vet of 10 years and hold your own and be able to, to sound like you know what the hell you're talking about relating to your specific craft. I don't know if it's even a question to do your own business versus a franchise, especially if you're over the age of 30. Yep. Like you want to start a lawn care business in your early 20s and you don't have any financial obligations or risks or anything, family, fine. But if you want to start in your 30s, 40s, I mean, your, your, your chance of success is just so much lower. And not only that, it's not about it that you can't succeed at it, but you're going to add this longer trajectory to, for what? To keep 7% of your revenue, which when you think about what does that really cut into profits? 7% off the top, I would call it, well, it's 7% of your profits, really, if you think of it from any standpoint, right? Like, it's, what is that worth? If, you're, if your business, let's use the round number. If your business was doing a million dollars in revenue, you're paying 70,000 for support. I mean, I pay 70,000 for all kinds of employees a year. Yeah. You're getting an entire support system for seven. It's, it's actually like when you really think about it, it's crazy. A million dollar business pays $70,000. And by the way, in a home service business, at least, you've alleviated so many other needs. You probably would have needed three employees for the 70,000. Yep. So you would have been at 200,000 a year off the top, but you're paying it in franchise royalties. It's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and I just tried to look up this stat. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to find it, but um, there's, there's data out there. There's research out there that by and large, franchises have a better output, better, better top-line gross revenue on average than most independent businesses. And so, yeah, you're paying a royalty, but if you, if you did it on your own, not only are you more likely to have a slower start because you're having to go through trial by fire, figure everything out on your own, 
in an industry that you likely don't know much about. So you're having to learn the industry itself. Um, and then you're get, and then getting from revenue point A to, to B and really scaling it. You don't know how to do that either. And so the, the average franchise just does just dramatically more revenue. So it's like, yeah, the, the royalty is worth it. Like, don't be a penny wise, but a dollar foolish. I think I read too that they trade at a higher multiple too. They do. They do. That's absolutely true. Maybe, maybe on our next episode, we can get into that a little bit more where we dive into what some of those numbers actually are. Because yeah, yeah, you pay a royalty, you know, now, but ultimately, if you could make more money today by having larger revenues, which, and again, having the coaching to run a more profitable and efficient business. So more to the bottom line, and then eventually sell for a higher multiple than the average independent business. Would that be worth it to you? And so I think that for many people, the answer is, yeah, duh, that's a no brainer. What about? What about like, imagine you start a cleaning business today right now. Who are you calling when you have questions? Who's your support? Who's your peer group? Who are you going to lean into? Like, I could never be the level of franchise or I'm working toward being without the team of people, uh, franchisors that are further along, further behind, and the same as me, lending advice to each other and lessons learned. You know, I, I'm probably learning what someone would take 10 years in one year because of the sheer amount of... Uh, uh, access I have to franchisors. If I was starting a cleaning business to figure that out through YouTube, you have a question. Well, who are you calling? Who's your support system? You know, who, it, it just seems so much lonelier than being able to go to a conference where there's a hundred other franchise owners going through the same problems as you or, you know, uh, an industry in general support system. And I think it goes just the same for buying an existing business in one of those industries, right? You, you, you can buy something that's cash flowing, but how do you get to the next level? Who do you talk to? Who do you collaborate with? Are, are a lot of your competitors in the industry? Yeah, they might be in different markets. So maybe they're willing to share a little bit. But the bigger you get, the more you spread out into different regions. Are they really going to want to tell you all their, all their secrets? But a franchise, like that's the whole game. When you succeed and when your franchisees across the country succeed or a neighboring market succeed, that improves the, the brand equity for everybody, the brand yeah. value, the, the, the name recognition and everything like that. So you have other people to network with within your franchise system. You have people to sell to within your franchise system, people that are looking to buy. And because they might be looking to buy your business down the road, they're going to be willing to mentor you today. You don't have that yeah. if, even if you acquire a successful independent business. So I, I just think like the net net of all of it is franchising is just yeah. the way to go. Of course, we're biased, but I mean, I think we've made a pretty good case here for that today. Even the, even the, like even the, the uh, franchisors trading. Franchisees trading to private equity now. Yep. When I got a franchise 10 years ago, that was like you had to really, wasn't as common. Now it's like they're coming up buying franchisee units, you know, multi unit owners. So it's like you have this clear path exit strategy. But well, this is a great episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to us, please do leave a review or five stars on the, on the button there. And we'll see you on the next episode. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 